Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. We are back on the floor of the 2017 New York Comic Con. Uh, but this time we're at the booth of Europe Comics, uh, the coalition platform of major uh, European comics publishers, and they're here promoting uh, just a slate of wonderful artists, uh, trying to make them a little bit better known in the U.S. I have the great pleasure to be here with with two of them, with Bruno and Fabien Nuri. Uh, they, they both work together on a number of books, and we're going to talk to them. Thank you, uh, and welcome to More to Come. Thank you. We're very pleased to be here. We're pleased to meet yeah. you. And you don't, you don't have to bend over. Okay. The microphone will get you. Okay. I'll, I'll move it around. You can just you'll be comfortable. So you, 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 you both, uh, you work together as a team on a number of works. Uh, I, I also want to talk about uh, the death of Stalin, um, uh, which is uh, with another, another yes. partner on this one. But let's talk about Etar Gold uh, as well as Tyler Cross. But we'll start with Etar Gold, which is the adaptation uh, of a 19th century novel about the slave trade, yes? Yes, eight, uh, the novel was written in 1831, I guess, mm -hmm. so it is not a history novel. No. It's mm -hmm. an ancient novel mm -hmm. about something that was going on by, back mm -hmm. then, and it was daring, it was the darkest thing I ever read. Uh, it had like uh, the, the true uh, slavers' contracts, mm -hmm. the contractors, they, uh, I mean, they, they are taken from real documents, yes. mm -hmm. and uh, I was baffled at the intensity and the, the insanity of the world described in this novel. Mm -hmm. It was so daring; it had been completely forgotten. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, uh, well, when I discovered that, I was like, "Hey, this is as relevant today as it ever was." Yes, mm -hmm. and um, it also happens to be some sort of Monte Cristo within the slavery world mm -hmm. and um, I learned later that it had influenced Alexandre Dumas from Monte Cristo. Oh, really? huh. Yes, because mm -hmm. Eugène the writer of the novel, was a friend with Dumas huh. mm -hmm. and he wrote that piece years before Monte Cristo and yeah. I know for a fact that Dumas read Sue's oh, work pretty closely. So it probably had influence and if you look at this is a revenge story it among other things. <laughs> and if you look at the the ways that the revenge is exerted they're very similar. Oh, interesting. Uh, because it, I mean, it, it is an account of a particular slave, really the, the, the son of a king. Yes. Uh, and what happens to him, and you really are brought into the world of slavery, uh, the commercial world. Exactly, the, the, the triangle of, mm. of business, of human lives yeah. that, that happened then. So you start in Africa, you go to Jamaica, and you end up in Europe. So you, you follow the whole project of uh, men and money and merchandise and everything. And what, what was very, very daring in this novel is that uh, no one, there's no rebellion, there's no hope in that. Uh, and yeah. uh, the, the novelist, he clearly understood that there was a great difference between revenge and rebellion. Mm -hmm. There is something very positive, very hopeful mm -hmm. to a rebellion wish, yeah. uh, because the, 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 the final purpose of it would be the liberation. Now, revenge has no purpose like this. And uh, what, what is very interesting is that the, the slave who would just revenge uh, has, I mean, 
ton of good reasons to exert oh, that revenge. He, as you document at, very clearly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so at one point, he could be free. But then his revenge would be over and he chooses to remain a slave in order to continue yeah. his revenge work. So he's the slave of his own revenge wish. And I thought that was a true fascinating idea that was conveyed in the novel. And so when I adapted it, I was like, who's the artist? Who could like put on paper images that, that I can tolerate and that you can read? Well on such yes. subject matter sure. and uh, I remember I waited like four or five years before I had a word with Bruno yeah. and when I knew with Bruno I knew the, the, the graphic novel could be done which it could not yeah. before that well that's a good point we'll move to Bruno um, I was I love the style I mean it's a this is really a brutal story of a brutal business um, and your drawings you capture it but but I guess in a certain sense, because you have a very simple style. Um, can you tell me about doing this book and translating this, these these experiences <laughs> into pictures? Yeah, I think my uh, my graphic is very uh, stylistic. Yes, you know? mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it uh, allows me to um, represent a very violent scenes. Uh, and that, uh, I can uh, create. Uh, second uh, uh, distance uh, mm -hmm. yes. in what I uh, represent between uh, the experience yes. and your perception of it yes, yes. and uh, what I love in the story uh, when uh, Fabian uh, told me uh, he wants to adapt uh, Eugensius novel is that uh, the main character is very dark and mm -hmm. uh, it's not so often we see um, um, Usually, the black uh, the black man uh, mm -hmm. who is uh, in slavery is a very positive uh, character, uh, mm -hmm. as we can see in uh, uh, Steven Spielberg's movie or um, Amistad. And sure. um, in this case, uh, what uh, really pleased me that uh, is very brutal, very uh, uh, cynical, and uh, it's uh, yeah. That's why I draw it. Well, you do a very strong uh, representation of him. Uh, you can't help but notice him, but your, and your style is so simple that it, it's it's really arresting. Um, what has been the reaction? Uh, this is the, has, has this been published in the U.S. or will it be published? No, it, will be. it will be. Do you have a publisher? I can't. You can't say. say it, but <laughs> you do have. You do have a We're publisher. We're working on a deal right now. Uh -huh. It's been published online with uh, Europe Comics. Uh, yeah. uh, but there's interest from uh, from a couple publishers. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I hope it comes through. Yeah. Uh, but yes, what Bruno was saying is that um, this main character, Eitar mm -hmm. uh he's this tall fella, Jaiman yeah. uh, Hunsu-like fella. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I thought was very interesting is that. You sort of expect a type of behavior mm. of such a character and that is I think that could be uh, a bit of uh, racism mm -hmm. racist reflex mm -hmm. uh, and what very what was very interesting in this character is that he's a Yago like character you know Yago from Othello mm -hmm. oh, okay. and because um, he lies yeah. he betrays he manipulates he's a very smart yes clearly. and a sneaky kind of guy mm -hmm. and you expect these kind of guys to be like some tall white dudes yeah. you know mm -hmm. and uh, have a certain mm -hmm. style to him and uh, and I was like wait wait a second why shouldn't 
this tall African guy be as smart and as sneaky as some small indeed, white dude. Indeed and, he is. He's methodical yes. in his vengeance. So there is a cliché in our representation mm, that might be sure. dangerous. And the book went against that cliché. And this is why the, the graphic novel with the images uh, could add something to the novel. There, mm. there, there was uh, the feeling of being useful in addition to the novel, not just like adapting it and uh, making a dime out of, out of something. Yeah. So there, there was a use of, uh, of the, the power of the image on this. And also you have all the slavers. I mean, they, they all think of themselves yes, that's that another they point. are good guys. Yes. Yes. They, they actually are really fond of themselves. Yeah. And uh, uh, they think that they are decent and caring human being. And it's only the system. And, and it's like... Uh, it's like reminding to a lot of people it's it's not a very pleasant thing to know but I think it's important to remind people that 200 years ago 300 years ago you might have been a slave you might also have been a slaver yeah which people don't want to hear yeah and this was a very interesting way to put it on paper through an entertaining story an adventure story because it reads as an adventure um, uh, novel you know and, uh, uh, but in the end uh, I hope that it, it it leaves you thinking a bit for a while and uh, since you have these very dark emotions grown at the end uh, these are the type of emotions that I keep with myself sure. after I close the book after I go out of the theater and this is what we like about this type of novels well it's coming along at a great time as slave narratives get more and more attention in, in yes, popular media as they should yeah, because yes. I mean uh, in France you know mm. uh, Bruno he lives in Nantes Nantes is a city uh, I mean it was built on slavery mm. you have buildings and avenues and now and all that money came from that yes. trade and those cities should be reminded of that and it, there's always a struggle for memory and yes. memory is our best protection against repetition of the horrors so that, that is something that is as important for us in France mm -hmm. and Europe as it is in America and as, as it, it is in or Africa. As it should be in America. You know, that, you know, three. Uh, sometimes it is. Three sometimes to, it's forgotten yeah. or, or willfully forgotten. But any, any triangle needs three mm -hmm. ends. And Europe is yes, the third absolutely. one. And we should, forget, uh, yeah. we should not forget that. Well, we, I can't wait to see it in print in English. Good. Hope you will. Great. So we're going to segue from there to Tyler Cross, which I've only just started reading, but I'm also fascinated by this. And as well as with, I mean, these uh, American genres of crime, noir, westerns, they seem to have a fascination for so many European comics creators. Yes. What would seem to be something far from your experience. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Tyler Cross um, and how you both... Well, it's your it. fault. It's your you Americans' yeah. fault. You've been you've been I mean, feeding like us those great story stories, <laughs> and I mean we have we have grown up with Lee Marvin, with Jack sure, Balance, sure. with Bogart, with all that stuff. So it's part of our culture now. Yes, yeah, sure. It's also part of our culture, yeah. and we also have Alain Delon and great figures of criminal mm -hmm. films and great noir novels in France and all over Europe. There's great Danish crime now. Mm -hmm. There's, so we have that culture too, and it was our take at um, Euro crime 
uh, was a specific genre of cinema that uh, that the Italians made in the 60s, in the 70s, just like they did the spaghetti western. And I like to describe it like it's like this Italian coffee, where there is no water left. It's only coffee. It's very bitter, very dark, but it's also energetic. Yes. <laughs> So we like to take those shapes, this mythology, yes. which is not ours, but which has become quite universal. Yeah, sure. And uh, give our European point of view on this. And it's like, we forgot about the reasons why you created this mythology, but the, the, the rituals in themselves are fascinating. And le let's give it a shot, you know, like they did with the man with the name, mm -hmm. uh, with Clint Eastwood, with the, sure. all those European creators. Well, tell us the story. What is, what's the plot of Tyler Cross? Well, Tyler Cross is a character, he's the pure gangster, yeah. Parker-style gangster. Yeah. He's the lonely, dangerous type guy. And uh, what was funny is that uh, you have this heist of uh, Mexican brown of heroin that happens near in Texas in, uh, in the 50s. And um, at one point, the guy finds himself in a very ironic and very interesting situation. He's carrying a shitload of heroin. Yeah. It's worth half a million bucks. But he's got $21. <laughs> and he's alone and yeah. he's watching yeah. so he's simply gotta find a city where he can buy a car or rent a car yeah. and from then on he will go into the wrong city yeah, and he will in, in fact where there's like a wedding is going to happen which is a problematic one yeah. too and in the end he will blow up the entire place it's uh, you know like uh, it's like bad day at bad day at <laughs> Black Rock spoilers, yeah. But it's <laughs> yeah but I mean everybody knows yeah, I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> the, the minute he steps foot in there, you know it's gonna blow up. You know, yeah. but the thing is, uh, there was this great classic film named Bad Day at Black Rock mm -hmm. uh, with Spencer Tracy. Sure, yeah, there was also, of course, a Fistful of Dollars, yeah. and it's it's sure. our take on that and on this very um, very dark but also very funny type of characters who don't give a shit about anybody. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we we described him as a um, he's a shark. Uh -huh. He can't stop. He'll drown if he stops. Yes. So he'll just keep so swimming just and leaving bodies behind him yes. and <laughs> keep on going and going and going. And how much energy has yeah. he got? Is it still meaningful? Yeah. And that, that's the type of yeah. character we want to we so, have. Hula, drawing this character, what can you tell us about? Um, at first, we, uh, when we uh, think about a new project uh, after Atagula, mm -hmm. I, uh, I tell Fabian I want to uh, draw a um, redneck uh, story yeah. with uh, <laughs> Charles Bronson, uh, like Charles Bronson's movie. Yeah. Or, and uh, shortly tell me, no, no Charles Bronson, but uh, look at this picture of uh, Humphrey Bogart mm -hmm. from High Sierra, uh -huh. uh, which were uh, a very iconic um, photographs. And uh, I say, uh, okay, uh, we'll do that. Uh, it's better. Uh, it's uh, graphically, it's more stimulating for me than uh, my uh, my wish to uh, to draw redneck story. <laughs> well, there is this in Tyler Cross. There is this great contest with the classic gangster in the suit and the fedora and his tie, a little undone, walking in through the the barren western landscape. I mean, it, yeah. you've brought. The, these, the two great genres together, westerns and and, and gangsters. Both genres, we, we <laughs> yeah, love those both sure. genres. And uh, in the second book, he will be in a penitentiary in Angola, uh, uh, which is also oh, pretty much in yeah. a western-like situation from Nevada Smith or uh, more recent from Cool Handed Luke. Sure. And uh, so the, the, they are, they have such graphic power. Yeah. This genre. 
and uh, when you can mix those two and it's not like oil and water they I mean they actually work together they feed each other and it's it's a great pleasure it's a uh, Tyler cross is more a uh, work of pleasure yeah. than at our girl we had something right, to say right yeah. here <laughs> but uh, still it enables us to say things about like crime uh, I think it's in this John John Houston great film um, the asphalt jungle well, uh, well somebody says well you know after all crime is only the dark side of human ambition and so yeah. where, wherever he goes he will see ruling type characters and systems economic systems which are not better than he is yeah. the only thing he, I mean he's got a gun when others have a suitcase yeah, sure okay now we're gonna we're gonna jump very quickly to an entirely different setting the death of Stalin which is actually going to be a movie that's yes, coming out. Is. I think it's going to be opening next year. Yes, yeah. uh, March 9. Yeah, okay, terrific. But you've done the graphic novel yeah. uh, with a different um, with a different artist in this case. Yes, with Thierry Robin. Yes, so this is a really uh, tragedy, comedy. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's black comedy yeah, or noir with humor. Yeah, uh, of, of the aftermath of Stalin going into a coma. And the various actors, um, historically, we all know them. I, and I know in the beginning of the book, or at least the one I read, there's a disclaimer. Yeah. That it's, this has all happened, but, you know, we couldn't invent something as bizarre as this. That's <laughs> but, right. But let you tell us about what goes on in the death of Stalin. Well, everything's in the title. Yeah. I mean, it's a very simple story. A powerful man has a stroke. His family and associates gather around him. He gets treated. Not so well, <laughs> so, so he dies, <laughs> yeah. and they organize a funeral. Much and fear, wonder who's, not much loved. <laughs> no, and they wonder who's going to be yeah. next in place. And that's a very simple story; it could happen anywhere. The the only problem is that he's the worst, one of the worst tyrants ever. ever. <laughs> and uh, this very simple story will actually make like four thousand victims. Yeah. Because there will be mayhem at the funeral, there will be a coup, there will be a complete purge, and the insanity. What is very funny about the death of Stalin is that I started research, I went looking for John Le Carré type material, you know, yeah. um, the Kremlin letter, the spy who came in yeah. from, from the cold, uh, very um, uh, conspiracy movie, spy movie, filled with KGB agents and guns with silences. And I stumbled on Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> You know, because this is a top-level political crisis mm -hmm. handled by a bunch of drunks, yeah. lunatics, and mass murderers, yeah. which happens yes, to yeah. be Doctor Strangelove. Yes. So, so yeah. I, try, I, I found myself laughing out loud, ashamed of myself, yes. and then laughing again. And I simply tried to convey that feeling, yeah. which Armando Iannucci then felt the same about yeah. the graphic novel, yeah. and it ended up as uh, this big-time film with a great cast, yeah. uh, which is a pure miracle yeah. for me. Well, the book is, is uh, it lurches between, as I said, completely horrifying and, and, and inadvertently hilarious. Yeah. Um, uh, with actors like Varia, and I mean, these, these Complete mass monsters. murders, these monsters of history, all um, running around like a crazy Marx yeah. Brothers movie. Like I, like I say, <laughs> the, the, the main thing is that 
no good guys in there. there. No, not a one. But at least bad guys do get the comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, all we need. And it's about the, the, the downfall of a very terrifying man, because all tyrants are both terrifying and grotesque figures. I mean, Gaddafi was hilarious. Idi Amin was hilarious, but they made millions of victims. Yes. And this denial of reality that inhabits the tyrants, it's very, very funny to look at when the consequences are tragic. Yeah. So you have those mixed feelings and there is a shift from comedy to tragedy during the second part of the uh, of the graphic novel when the, when the victims become innocent people yeah. and there is also a lesson to it is that a million people attended the Zed funeral and they were not ordered to they wanted to attend because for all the harm they've done tyrants are loved and yeah. that is a very sad lesson that I that I learned with this book yes uh, reality so I think it's useful to again Use memory and entertainment mm -hmm. in order not to repeat the same errors. Well, look, I'm going to have to end it on that, but but uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you. I'm I can't wait to read the books. Uh, hopefully, that are coming in. Well, Death of Stalin will be coming out. Yeah. Uh, already. So, look, uh, thank you both for being on More to Come. Thank you. Great thank pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you. Great pleasure. Thank you. P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of P.W. Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics back on the floor of 2017 New York Comic Con. Ground zero for pop culture right now. And I'm here with the creative team around a, 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 just a dynamic graphic novel. It, it comes out this month. It's called I Am Alfonso Jones. It's published by Lee and Lowe. Uh, I think you're going to want to pick this up. It brings together an, an, all of the issues that you're uh, reading about today, connects us with uh, African-American literary history. Um, I'm here with John Jennings, Stacey Robinson, and Tony Medina. I thank all three of you for being on More to Come. Hey, what's up, Calvin? Hey, what's up? <laughs> thank you what's so much. On? I'm so here walking down. the floor here. So I'm, I'm going ju to jump to the writer, but I don't mean to overshadow the artist here. No, no, no. no, no. But, but I've interviewed him like a, I, I've lost track of how many times. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we get my first time interviewing uh, Stacy here, the other yeah, part yeah. of the artist team. But uh, Tony Medina, your YA author, um, poet, the poet, of professor. course, of course, uh, prize winning professor at my alma mater, Howard University. Uh, can, can you run us through what is um, uh, what what goes on in I am Alfonso Jones? Well, I could set up the premise. Because yes, there's okay. so many layers. To yes, the, to the story. absolutely the case. So yeah. But Alfonso Jones is a black Puerto Rican teenager, 15 year old from Harlem, originally from the Bronx, but it got relocated to Harlem. And what happens is that Alfonso's in a gifted school called the Henry Dumas School of the Arts. Yeah, we love this. After yes. the great Henry Dumas. Yes. You know, the black arts, uh, Afrofuturist poet and fiction writer. Very good, yes. Um, he goes to this gifted school. He's got a great uh, crop of friends. He has a crush on a girl named Donetta, who's his best friend. And Alfonso's father has been behind bars for 15 years, the extent of his entirety of his life. Mm -hmm. And so he's been exonerated to DNA testing. Uh, he's on his way out. So Alfonso wants to get a suit to be there for his father's release. Sure. He wants a girl's opinion. He gets mm -hmm. Donetta to yeah. go with him. He leaves the safe confines of Harlem to go to mid-Manhattan, right, to a store named called Marksman's, a department store. Mm -hmm. 
And in the process of buying that suit, he gets shot by a security police officer in the, yeah. in the, and he ends up uh, as a ghost on the subterranean yeah. uh, train where he meets the ancestors yes. who have been killed by police and not received justice. Eleanor Bumpers, mm -hmm. uh, Amadou Diallo, mm -hmm. Michael Stewart, mm -hmm. contemporary of Basquiat, yeah. graffiti artist, mm -hmm. um, as well as Anthony Baez, who yeah. was the, the inspiration mm -hmm. for Spike Lee's Radio Rahim character in mm -hmm. Do the Right Thing. It's right. great. This and it great. unfolds from there. Yes. And he also meets Henry Dumas yes. himself. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and just as he said, this is, this is one layer, but this is, uh, this is a mini textured literary experience, uh, literary experience, urban experience, um, and, and, and just brings together so much of what we see in the headlines. Sure. So I'm going to shift over here now to the, to the, uh, to the artistic side of the, the, mm -hmm. the visual art side of the deal. Yeah, Black Kirby. Uh, Black Kirby here. Mm -hmm. Uh, you come up with a little bit different style though, um, yeah. to do this, uh, as a YA graphic novel. Mm -hmm. So, uh, John Jennings, uh, Stacey Robinson, you, whoever you, Either one of you, you can start out. Okay. I'm going to go, I want to hear a little, a little bit from both of you. Ahead, Maybe you, you, it's been my right, first well, time interviewing you. Right, 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 right. Sorry, <laughs> Stacey right. Robinson. So you want me to talk about process or? Uh, yeah, well, we'll talk about the art, the, okay. the visual style that the book takes. Okay, so, well, we actually, visual style, hmm, how, we can talk, how do we talk about the visual <laughs> style? That's really, really interesting. Uh, so we, I guess the visual style, I, as the penciler, I chose to go with a more fun, energetic mm -hmm. approach to illustrating a very dark narrative mm -hmm. so Tony once I got Tony's script there was so much weight mm -hmm. uh, to deal with I actually chose to uh, lighten it up with with the personalities of the characters making mm -hmm. sure that when I mm -hmm. illustrated them I made sure I had to really be careful how I made their facial expressions for mm -hmm. example right so with having a diversity of styles or even coming from the Black Kirby work, which is sometimes very heavy in, in dark tones, I actually went lighter with the tones, mm -hmm. um, with, the, with the shading too, to kind of almost illuminate, you know, make fun, um, make a fun place in such a dark subject matter. Because yeah. it, like it is a fun story too. Well, I mean, yeah. and we have, they're, they're, it it's is woven together story, with sure. very serious issues. Very but much it so, is a, right. it is a, an exciting, fun uh, bantering story because oh, the yeah. language of the story, uh, the visual as well as the 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 right. um, the, uh, the, the, the speak the spoken right. language right, of right, the story right. is very playful and fun. It is, yeah. it is, yeah. It's it's, it's a hip hop narrative, yes, right? Absolutely. So, so I tried to bring that hip hop flavor to the yeah. pencils, yeah. Right? right? And and John's approach, um, in addition to that, is actually very different than than the Black Kirby work that we've done before. Mm -hmm. But for this narrative as our first graphic novel together, I, I think it, it fits very well. The, the audience response has been very good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this will, I think this will vibe with the with our audience, our, our YA audience. I, I think it's going to bring in a few adults too, as well as the YA. Oh, I'm, yes, I'm hoping so, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think my question about that, I switched to John now, the question about the visual style, I, probably is just the, uh, maybe set up a comparison because what you're doing, what you do with Black Kirby sometimes is so conceptual, it's so frenzied, right. it's such a, uh, it's such a kinetic, not that this one isn't dynamic mm. as well, but it's, but you've obviously chosen a different, um, a different syntax in your visual language That's right. for a different kind of story. That's right. Yeah, I, just to think about that, I mean, uh, one aspect of, of hip hop culture is sample and remix, mm -hmm. right? And so um, when we, t when we're talking about like design aesthetics and sample and remix, you're using like, uh, 
bricolage, counter bricolage, mm -hmm. rejuxtaposition of images. Um, we wanted to be really specific to the to the space. We use a lot of like photo reference. Um, let's see, I used various methods of inking actually, mm -hmm. and I did like a lot of product project management with various inkers as well. So you almost have this kind of like jump cut kind of style too. But um, I have a heavy hand when it comes to rendering, so you can definitely tell this is stylistically it holds it together, you mm -hmm. know. Um, the other thing too I found really interesting about the narrative is there's been an upswing of different comics um, that they're utilizing issues around the supernatural or horror or mm -hmm. or the or gothic, what I call the ethnogothic, to mm -hmm. deal with like unpacking uh, issues around uh, police brutality or sure. various mm -hmm. types of social justice issues, mm -hmm. even just for like. Uh, Symbolic uh, restorative justice politics, right? Mm -hmm. All these different things you can see with the, the film Get Out, for instance. Sure. You know? mm -hmm. So that's the thing that kind of drew that, that kind of drew us to the project, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was great. I mean, it was it, we, we, we we turned it around, I think, in a, in a really uh, timely fashion. About thirteen months of work. Yes. Um, it challenged us as far as like dealing with like the fact that this was Tony's first graphic novel as well. So we actually had to kind of, he had to kind of teach himself how to write the, in this particular space and how, how many panels per page and, 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 and how, and then of course Damien Duffy, who is the adapter of Kendrick's sure. graphic novel, was the letterer on the project. Right. And he did a really great job of actually dealing with, you know, the, the verbiage and also kind of the styles around like the uh, sound effects and the interiority of the characters. Yes. So I think honestly, we figured out a really good, a, a really good uh, scheme to get the, the book done. We work with like some young and upcoming inkers as well on the project, and I think cool. it came together really nicely. Yeah, we have all cylinders. Yeah, we have a really uh, solid team. Yeah. And I neglected to mention this has been a big year for you. Or when, when did Kendrick come out? Was yeah, that January. A, that was in January. So this has been a big year because I mean you worked on it uh, along with Damien to That's adapt right. uh, the Octavio uh, Butler classic Kendrick right. into yeah. a graphic novel exactly. as well. But I also got a chance to hear Tony at the Brooklyn um, Book Festival. Talk about a little bit of the challenges on the editorial side, the writing side, and working with editors to get the book out, to get it on time, uh, and to deal with the fact that this was your first graphic novel. Well, I, I wrote it on time, mm -hmm. but I did teach myself how to write in the yeah. form. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenges I did have, which was, you know, John just spoke of, was basically figuring out the panels per page and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and the scenes mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, initially, I was confined to 140 pages mm -hmm. so I was working towards that but I needed we needed some more breathing room for right. the artwork yeah. and for certain scenes and stuff mm -hmm. like that so we were able to get you were able to, to get ballooned to like space. 36 more pages okay, you know? okay. Right. so that that not so much but the narrative mm -hmm. and dealing with a non-linear narrative format uh, wasn't too difficult for me mm -hmm. you know in all the elements I wanted to get in there and I was fortunate to be working with um, Stacy Whitman, our yes, editor, yeah, editor and yes, also our publisher, two job. books. Mm -hmm. yes. Because, because she shares kind of like a similar political vision that we share, you know. That's and I was right. able to like kind of expand and flex mm -hmm. with everything I wanted to put in there, culturally, socially, True. politically. Right. You yeah. know. Well, that's a good description because it is jam packed and with. Literary. It is rich with literary and social uh, significance. So, and words. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of words. Uh, so it, it's just going to be exciting. I mean, the book comes out this this month, right? Yeah, October. October 15th. Uh, it's just going to be exciting to see the public um, get a chance to see it and respond to it. Right. Because I think the response is going to be huge. Yes. I mean, you. you know, on, on both sides. But I think that's the kind of book it's meant to be. Right. To absolutely. make people, like, pay attention. Right. 
So it really okay. feels good in our hands. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I was really excited to see that. I read an advanced copy, so I grabbed up one uh, the finished copies as soon as I got here. Mm -hmm. right. So uh, look, I'm I'm going to end this here. This has been really great talking mm -hmm. to all of you. Really exciting to see this book out in the marketplace now. Thank you all three of you for being on More to Come. All right. Thank you, Thank Thank you, Calvin. Thank you. This is all, awesome, Calvin. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics back on the floor of the 2017 New York Comic Con. It's insane. Uh, so what do I do? I go stand in the uh, booth for Viz Media, and believe me, it's no less insane here. The manga fans are turning out, but uh, I have the, the great benefit of being here with Kevin Hambrick and I. I'm always to never get your title right. You're like director, senior you, director of sales and marketing for the book business. For what he said. Okay. Uh, thanks for being on More to Come. Uh, this is your second year in a row being on More to Come at New York Comic Con, if I'm not mistaken. Love it. Yes. Great. All right. So I, I'm going to ask. I want to talk briefly about a couple of things here in the belly of the beast, <laughs> ground zero for pop culture mania. Um, I, as I always do, I, I want to hear how are sales, what, what, what's, what's going on with this media manga so far in 2017. Yeah, well, we, we couldn't be more pleased. Um, going into the year, we were a little bit wary because of the political climate. Sure. But we uh, think, yeah, <laughs> think, things are good for both our fiscal year and the calendar year. We're, we're up again over our budget. Awesome. We're up again over our, our fiscal budget and uh, for the calendar year. Mm. Not only here in the States, but in Canada, the UK, yeah. Australia, yeah. New Zealand, yeah. India. We're up double digits uh, everywhere we're, we're, we're publishing books. So. I mean, I, 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 I tend to keep referring back to the to sort of the market crash, though we're a few years away from that. Manga has been strong. I mean, in many ways, the underlying elements, even during those so-called crash years, were strong. I mean, attendance was, was still going up at all of the shows. Uh, but we've seen that the publishing side, the title side, and the demand for titles just continue to, to go up. It is. I, I think it's it's a it's a combination of uh, what we've talked about in the past. It's 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 pop culture in general coming out from behind the curtains and being accepted. Yes. But also the fact that we've just really really strong titles on the manga side. Yes. You know, and, and not necessarily what's working and not working in in Japan because that always doesn't translate into the English market. Mm -hmm. But we've uh, Viz as a whole, I think, has done a very good job of picking the right titles to bring over to the States and translate into English at the right time. Well, one of the things uh, uh, we've talked about at PW is that there's a kind of a new generation of bestsellers following the, the, the Naruto's and the, uh, the Naruto's of the past. Um, and it's and it, Tokyo Ghoul and, and some of the others that are out now. Yeah, uh, Tokyo Ghoul, Assassination mm -hmm. Classroom, One Punch Man, My Hero Academia. Yes, yes. What are my, my Hero favorites? Academia yeah. is the surprise for us mm -hmm. this year. Um, and, and all of those that I just mentioned kind of follow the, the anime trend as well. Mm -hmm. Every time an anime does well, we see the manga yeah. sales go up. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, yesterday with My Hero Academia, we just announced a speed up. Uh -huh. We're going to speed uh -huh. up the release of My Hero Academia Great. because of its popularity mm -hmm. and try to get on track with, with Japan. And we also announced that we'll be doing the sequel, My Hero Academia Vigilantes. Oh, no, okay. Yeah. All right. So the free chapters are available uh -huh. on uh, weeklyshonenjump.com right now. Great. And we're going to put it into the manga form. Well, one of the things, and I was chatting with you a little bit about this beforehand, uh, 
the comics, I think the whole comics marketplace is going through a transformation now, a transition. Um, I mean, comics in this country very, for so long were kind of focused on the direct market. The direct market is still an important venue and outlet, but obviously the growth of the book format and graphic novel formats, manga's role in that really had in actually in expanding the genres available to American readers and pushing a younger generation of fans toward the book format. One of the things we talked about or was talked about in the um, ICV Insider Sessions uh, trade show yesterday was the surprising power of the Viz Media brand in the in the in the the book market as opposed to what's been recorded in the direct market now we we kind of always have known that manga sells better in the book trade but uh, the dramatic shift in the size of your impact will, between the two markets is really sort of remarkable yeah it's it's really not a surprise to us yes of course not <laughs> but, you can see the numbers but yeah so like like you said in the book trade and because of book scan it's been reported our numbers get reported yes there hasn't been a really robust or go-to place for the direct market uh, as to what what's selling through Yes. Diamond does yes. release their sales and what they sell to their accounts. Yes. But we know, with, with talking to you know the, the players within the direct market, that yes, we are number one in manga uh, in the direct market, just like in the, in the book scan reports for the trade. We, we sell more units than, say, DC every week in the direct market. Of course, they've got the higher dollar amounts, but yeah. as far as units go, we, we sell more than anybody else. So the stores are selling manga. I mean, what's what's really interesting, and one of the things that uh, um, Kristen McLean from the uh, MPT Bookscan mm-hmm. was talking about during her, her presentation, is that there's an emerging new demographic. Basically, it's driving the graphic novel sales of children's graphic novels, but also young women in particular who are going to the book trade and online very often to buy yes. their comics and so, they're looking for manga so everyone's saying it's emerging and again to us it's not, not really yes, yeah. em- it's not really emerging it's the the people above us uh, like that, that are just really figuring out that hey this is really happening yeah. we've been saying it for years <laughs> they're just catching on and it's and it's Everyone's trying to, I'm not going to say jump on the bandwagon, but yeah. they're, they're recognizing that this is a viable category with genre, genres and subgenres that everyone's reading. Yes. And it's, it's not taboo to read it anymore. Um, so they're, they're, they're trying to capture their, their part of the market share and their part of the market in order to, to, to gain sales. And we're working with everybody we can in order to do that, to get sections set correctly. Well, and the right amount of books, the right the right selection of books. Well, you mentioned another interesting point, and I thought that was another thing that, uh, that Kristen's presentation outlined, the subdivisions, the subcategories of manga. Right. She had it really broken down to, I mean, I think too often manga gets thrown into one big pot, or maybe two, two big pots, you know, shonen or shoujo, which don't always really right. have an application in the American market. Right, so what... We've been having this conversation with our major retailers for a couple of years. A lot of people consider manga and graphic novels as a genre. It's not. It's yes. a category yes. of which there are action, science fiction, fantasy, horror yes. genres within it. Yeah. So now do we start working with those retailers and subcategorizing the section, the category? Because we transmit our metadata, our, 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 our Onyx feed has literally the category. 
So it says graphic novels, manga, science fiction. Yeah. Graphic novels, manga, action. So that's, that's in the metadata that we transmit, and it's tracked by, by BookScan. Well, I think across the comics categories, uh, we, we all need to, uh, are starting to realize that you can't lump all this stuff together. It's right. not just comics, it's different kinds of comics and different kinds of categories for different kinds of readers. Right, and like you mentioned uh, just a little while ago, it's our, our readership is about 50-50 as well, male-female. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's, it's just not the females who are reading the show, Joe and the Romance. Yes, exactly. It's men yeah, too. Yeah. It's just not the men who are reading the action yeah. and, and the dark, bloody, gory stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's the women Boy, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but also you mentioned the women. It's uh. our strong female characters within, in our, our books are, are selling well as well, sure. our two. Mm -hmm. And we've got a vast number of our authors are female that people don't realize either. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there, are, there is a great number of fantastic creators, artists and writers within manga that are female. All right, so really quickly, um, and we talked about this a little bit, San Diego, uh, the library market. Yes. So uh, you, I know you, you would um, uh, put a lot of content on Overdrive, if I understand. Is there anything more on, we on just, the library? We just, uh, we just released another 400 books mm -hmm. uh, since San Diego onto Overdrive, our Overdrive sales are way higher than we expected them to be. We are talking to a couple of more library ebook distributors. Hulu? Not Hulu, uh, excuse me, not Hulu. Um, what am I talking Hoopla. about? Hoopla. Hoopla, yes, sorry, I got my hoops. Hoopla, Hoopla. Biblioteca. Hoopla, yes, which, yeah. are, which is a, uh, an, uh, an interesting subscription type service yeah. for libraries. It's not a certain, basically the library branch is paying, you've got a library card, you can right. you can use it. and so if. As soon as they can figure out how to do the reader correctly. That's true. That's right. I, I think you called the last time that they the need to right. work on their reader. Yeah. 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 But I mean, they are all, they have thousands of comics now that you can. Yeah, I personally use Hoopla. Yeah. So. so. Well, that's awesome. Well, look, this is great. I'm going to let you go. Um, uh, I do want to ask. Just uh, Anime NYC is coming up. Correct. And that's in November. Uh, it's in a, another month. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a brand new show. Obviously, uh, you guys are going to be. We are. We are a sponsor. Involved. We don't have a booth or anything there, but we'll have panels and uh -huh. giveaways and things cool. like that. But we're right. we're one of the major sponsors. Awesome. So we'll yeah. see you again in November. I'll be back. Awesome, Kevin. Thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics back on the floor of the 2017 New York Comic Con. I know you wish you were here, but you know what? We're here for you, and right now I'm in the booth of First Second Books, uh, a New York-based graphic novel publisher. I'm here with the co-authors of a really unusual, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a memoir, but it is nonfiction. Um, uh, it's a really extraordinary story. Um, uh, David Carlson, who is the writer, and the artist, Landis Blair. I talk with Landis in San Diego, so we're going to put the two stories together now. Look, thank you both for being on More to Come. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be back. Well, obviously, the book that I'm talking about is called The Hunting Accident, A True Story of Crime and Poetry. Uh, it's all true, and it's an incredible story. Uh, in San Diego, Landis gave me the background uh, of it, but I'm gonna, we're going to talk with David now to get the writer's side of the story, and I'm going to ask you again to recount this amazing tale, and then I've got more questions for you. 
So just to give our listeners an idea of what this book is about. So my friend Charlie, who is alive today, okay. uh, always believed that his father had been blinded in a hunting accident. Mm -hmm. And they both uh, grew up on the west side of Chicago in an uh, area of the Little Italy that has been a breeding ground for the mafia from the, mm -hmm. the 20s through, well, probably through mm -hmm. present day. Mm -hmm. But um, they, um, and uh, Charlie got into trouble himself um, when he was 18. And when the police came to arrest him, he wouldn't rat on his uh, friends. There were two guys with him that had committed this burglary. And uh, so uh, the police were going to haul him off, and, the, and his father, Matt Rizzo, said, hold on, let me explain something. You have to cooperate with these guys, because if you don't, you're going to end up in prison like I did. And at this point, Charlie's, like, stunned and wondering, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I, I uh, was not blinded in a hunting accident. I... Uh, was uh, out with two of my buddies, and this is 1935, and it's mm -hmm. Al Capone's uh, Chicago, and and uh, he um, is uh, blinded in a botched robbery, and he wouldn't rat on his friends, so he's sent to Stateville Prison, where by a twist of fate, he becomes uh, the cellmate of Nathan Leopold, who was... Uh, one half of the duo Leopold and Loeb that had committed the crime of the century in 1924 where they... The most notorious crimes to this day. Yes, yeah. very much. It's actually uh, the most documented murder in history. Yeah, uh, yeah it, because at the time, it just hit at a time when psychology was just starting to, like, why did they do this? What was, there was a lot of interest uh, on their part and uh, they had alienists, six alienists that interviewed them so there was all of this information that I was able to use as research trying to understand uh, the mind of Nathan Leopold. So now you just, this was a friend, this is someone that you knew, the uh, Charlie. Yes. And and he told you these stories, I mean, I'm we just were, trying to figure out, what, what, <laughs> how did you come together? I mean, it did, and, 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 and when, did, when did it become a book project? I mean... Right, well, it became a book project... Uh, uh, I guess right away because I, when he told me this, it was a breakfast one day. We're out for breakfast and he's telling me about his father. And uh, I just was like, Charlie, man, that I, I got to do something with that. And I was trying to figure out, okay, what are all the ways I could tell this story? And the graphic novel just seemed like such a great medium uh, because of the uh, uh, ability to, um, you know, uh, layer the... Um, story both vertically and horizontally what I mean by that is there's so many threads in this story mm -hmm. that uh, it would be difficult uh, let's and I actually started with a screenplay so that was the first thing that I wrote and then I had a playwright who was writing a, a stage play version of it what is your background by the way oh I it was a, a documentary a uh, photographer yeah. or filmmaker okay. for a long time and I also did commercial work as a director and uh -huh. okay, I was yeah, a musician so I wore a lot of I was a yeah. car salesman okay. you know, <laughs> well, you've got the perfect background to, to tell one of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard uh, including the details about life in, in, in prison uh, and the life of, of your main of essentially your main character uh, Nathan Leopold I mean 
he, I mean, I knew he was supposedly a fairly brilliant guy. I didn't realize to the degree of his ability to pick up languages, uh, yeah. uh, his immersion in literature. I mean, it's really kind of incredible because the story of this book is is uh, Matt becoming essentially his student. Yeah, he actually had mastered, I think, about 26 languages in his lifetime, uh, Nathan Leopold. Yeah. And because here's a brilliant guy who had a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> yes, prison is yes. a good place for like, self-improvement. <laughs> and, and he actually had started the, the school, the prison school, uh-huh. uh, with the family money. They you know, provided books, and, and that, this was an obsession with him. Uh, he, you know, was, I mean, there was a side benefit to him teaching Matt Rizzo how to read Braille, and that was that he could, he had to teach himself first. So now he could read after lights out. So. Well, that's one of the great <laughs> moments in the book, and is that, well, this is what's amazing. He teaches himself Braille. I mean, I couldn't teach myself French, let alone Braille. Um, uh, and then, yeah, and it turns out that's one of his delights, is that he can keep reading now Yeah, the lights are out. <laughs> Um, there's so many details of the story that are, that are incredible, um, but but you also give us a look in, into prison life in a in a whole other area. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, feel free to jump in at any point. I mean, this is such an amazing story. I don't want to issue a whole lot of spoilers necessarily. Yeah. Um, well, I think the thing that attracted me most to it was that here you have a guy who's 20 years, 22 years old. He has a, a very poor education. Uh, he's um, newly blind, in the darkest place of his life, in an eight by twelve foot cell, yes. literally blind in yes. a dark place, and uh, and his cellmate is the most heinous criminal in the country at that time. It's, so it's, it's truly so amazing. I couldn't think of a more dark place. And the amazing thing for me is that the light that's coming to him is coming through this guy, through yeah. Nathan Leopold. Yeah. And the light really is the, the the literature, the poetry, the, you know, these writers, whether it was... So in the book, it's it's uh, he gives him Dante's Inferno yeah, to yes. read. Yeah. And it's the... the uh, to me, it seemed like, I mean, that we're in this country, we're almost... We're in this age of anti-intellectualism yeah. where there's, you know, yeah. a lot of... of um, sort of, uh, 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 well, the, the, it just seemed to me that this light coming out of the darkness, the sort of new dark ages that we're in, yes. maybe this is a way for us to reach out and say, hey, there is something to this secret language of the poet. That these guys have been writing these stories that were true in Dante's time are still true today, and they still matter today. And here's an example of why this kind of literature can take a man and completely turn his life around yeah. through that process of understanding what the human journey is, what the soul's journey is in terms of moving from, you know, just this, uh, well, just ascending yeah. in, into uh, well, the, the full humanity that he... Of, I keep dropping my notebook. One of the great things about... <laughs> you're, you're here, folks, <laughs> as I bumble through my interview. Um, it's a little crowded here. Um, but, um, um, I mean, one of the, the great uh, characteristics of this book is to watch him go from, as you're saying, from poorly, edu- uh, poorly educated to reading the, these great works of literature in Braille. I mean, in some way, because there's a weird 
kind of pact between him about reading the uh, Dante uh, that you know he doesn't seem to really want to carry out. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, and and particularly when he learns that there's another volume. Yeah, yeah right. right. So you're, right. you're not really finished yet. Right. Um, but it's just extraordinary that he becomes this this poet and this deep lover of literature. Uh, and now, of course, he's, he's seen, in his son, he's, he sees his life almost repeating itself, and he's horrified at the thought. Yeah, of course. Well, and as I'm a father of three boys, and uh, it is... Uh, quite a, uh, I mean, part of the challenge for me was thinking about how his father would, uh, you know, I mean, how is it that the sins of the fathers are passed down from generation <laughs> yeah, yeah. to generation, right? Yeah. So, and one of the chapters is even called the sins of the fathers, because I, I think the father-son link between Nathan Leopold and his father, mm. and then Matt Rizzo and his son, Charlie Rizzo, uh, those were really, uh, that dynamic was is uh, it's a really important dynamic in our culture in terms of mentoring and learning and how do we uh, how do we learn to become human how do we learn to become uh, men and women who are our role models uh, you know and uh, so this uh, well the fact that that the teacher in this case uh, came you know was also a thrill killer yeah. um, it kind of says something about the power of the uh, of the poet and, and and of the work that's embedded in these great works of literature, as to uh, that it can be um, accessed by everyone. Mm -hmm. And actually, it, on that note, one of the great segments of the story is when Matt actually takes over the teaching of the class of the Inferno because he can. He can speak the truths of literature that he's read in Dante's language, and he can speak it to the prisoners in a way that they connect with in some ways that Leopold can't. Yeah. So and that's a real moment where he becomes his translator, and, and the, the class becomes really engaged with the narrative, really interested, as they see their lives in this book as interpreted to them. But I mean, there's so many moments in this book that make you, you know... Go out. Now I'm going to jump to Landis. He yeah. he did get his chance in front of the I mic, do. but we we'll, we can give him another one. Yeah. <laughs> because of course one of the things your art does. I mean, if this is a book, somewhat about obsession. I mean, uh, your, your, yeah, I mean your art certainly fits the bill. Uh, I mean, I, I think I said something that I think even our crumb would be uh, would be a little bit so shocked at your at your cross hatching. Um, but you use it to great effect, uh, okay. and and you really give black and white color in many oh, ways wow. okay. uh, with how you're able to build layers and layers of this stuff, and and also you use comics in a way that you know is also perfect as your page layouts very often seem to comment on the actions that's taking place within the page. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. You want to throw in something? I, you know, I'm just throwing praise at you. But you, yeah. <laughs> you want to say something more specific? Feel free. I, I mean, I think part part of the that I mean, you alluded to the obsession. It, you know, that's my own um, level of insecurity of you know, with, with with approaching it. And part of this is because I hadn't done any any comics before this project. The work I'd done before was more just illustration and doing uh, my own little picture books. And so it's a very different. Uh, different kind of storytelling that I was used to, or I should say visual storytelling, mm -hmm. where you just have one image a page and you turn the page, and so suddenly having to think about uh, 
you know, panel layouts and in incorporating text bubbles, and then not only that, then thinking of you know page spreads, and then thinking of the page. I know, pretty, for this being your first, I mean, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's, oh. I mean, it's kind of epic, and it's what we've got here. Yeah, I'm not sure so, how he follows up after this one. I, I know because really, I mean, the length of the work, the detail of the work. I mean, you, you, you you live within the lives of these these prisoners uh, and um, uh, but you know you really you, you've taken on quite a task well, your own I guess it was your own uh, journey through various levels of hell I guess in yeah, some ways yeah but uh, you seem to come out on the other side may I answer not to interrupt oh yeah, yeah. now how did how did you two come together how did you find uh, I did, who, who found who? I met him at Wizard World. He uh, was at Artist Alley and had a little picture book that he, okay. these things he does. I think he and, told me this back in San Diego. Okay, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, but I found out once we, I had written a screenplay and he was re working off of that to do thumbnails. But once it took on the life of a graph, it became its own thing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was pulling text out left yeah, and right yeah, yeah, because... Yeah, yeah. Of what he was doing uh -huh. with visuals. <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting. That seems to always be the story of the writers talking about. Well, I wrote one thing, and then as I saw the drawings, I started yanking the text out. You know, I mean, you know, that's right. the whole idea. It's the seamless yeah. combination of yeah. words and pictures. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, look, this is great to talk to you. The book uh, was published in September, so it's just out now. Uh, I've only seen a hard copy of it myself for the first time. It's really extraordinary. I've been reading off a PDF, but uh, it's great to see the book. Uh, looks terrific. Um, look, good luck to you on the book, and thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thanks, Calvin. Thank Appreciate you. your time. Yeah.